Well, hello, friends. Uh, this is Pastor Leon, and this is Pastor Cast number 34. And I am joined today by Meredith Nagel, who is joining us remotely in Florida. How exciting. Isn't technology amazing? It is amazing. I'm, and so the sound quality is going to be a little different. We're going to be uh, working with a handicap today, babe. So we'll just have to overcome okay. it. We'll try our best. All right. So um, we have been wanting to do a podcast for some time, but we had the holidays and we had uh, friends over and we kept saying, let's do a podcast. And then like something would happen like dinner (laughs) (laughs) or life. Yes. So um, we wanted to do a podcast to kind of put uh, a bow, I think, on some of the things that we were talking about in the past uh, few weeks and the sermons that I've been preaching on creation. And uh, is that cool? Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Okay, so um, one of the things that, uh, Meredith, that Meredith does for me, which is really awesome, is that she will give me unbelievably honest feedback on my sermons. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, I felt like that this, whatever sermon that I was preaching, I think it was the one where I, I was preaching on the image of God. Yeah. And... And you were loving it because it had some amazing in-depth uh, study of the language and the impact of the language, the, the original language. And it was really a great teaching. And you were so excited to share all of your knowledge on the subject. Yes. And uh, so, and I had this video, I had this stuff. I mean, it was... A great was, video. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and a lot of people really dug the, the sermon. I think there was a lot of access points for people. The video was a huge access point for a lot of folks. But um, as I was walking out, <laughs> I, I met Meredith at the door, like where we stand to shake people's hands and say goodbye to them. And I said, so what did you think of the sermon? And she said, it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> like what (laughs) yeah (laughs) but you couldn't put your finger on exactly why it was just okay now granted you know your critiques are going to be a lot um you know you're going to make some deep critiques more so than the average person because you care about me and you want me to be better and you also listen to a lot of sermons (laughs) yes i do several a week and and in fairness to you you had absolutely slayed it the day before at Presbytery. Like, so good that people were clapping after your sermon, which for those of people who go to Presbytery meetings know that people don't typically clap after the sermon part. It was, like, amazing. So maybe, you know, I was just kind of comparing it to the day before. I don't know. But but in any way, go ahead. Keep telling your story. Okay. So we, uh, like, it was, it was like the next day that you um, you said, I finally figured out what was wrong with the sermon or what was not, what was missing, I think is what you said. Yeah, what it was missing. So what was, what was it? And it was the, the so what. So, you know, for me, a sermon is not a good sermon unless the important question is answered. So what? So what do I do with the information and the knowledge that I've been given in the sermon? And that's where I felt like we were lacking. Yeah, like there was something that wasn't quite right. Like, what do we do now? So go forward and do something is what I needed to hear. 
Yeah. And, uh, and so what we, so that's what kind of we were thinking is like, okay, well we need to do a podcast that really, you know, just identifies that what, what the, so what was. And so I, let me just do like a one minute sort of summary of the sermon. I, I basically said that we were created in the image of God for purpose um, that God created us in God's image so that we would uh, bear God's image to the world and make God known. Um, and we do that in a variety of ways, right? We do that in, you know, the way that we, um, you know, point to God with our lives and the things that we do. We also do it in the way that we interact with others and we acknowledge the image of God in other people. And basically what I was saying was in a very broad way was that if we did this, if we figured this out, like if Christians started figuring out like what it meant to be um, an image bearer of God, then that would that would solve a lot of our problems like, you know, in the world. Like if people began to live that way, um, and would recognize the image of God within them and then be able to recognize and to bless the image of God in other people that it would solve a lot of our divisions and hatred and bigotry and all the other stuff. So that was kind of what I was going for. It was, But what I did was I left, I, I had this big open-ended thing. And, you know, for people who love open-endedness, it was probably the greatest sermon they've ever heard. <laughs> Because it was really, well, I don't it know was, about that. No, I don't know, but it was really <laughs> open ended, you know. And right, right. so that was kind of what we were, what we, what you suggested was that we we follow up and say, okay, well, what are the things that we can do to, you know, to really make that a reality? Like, how do we bless the image of God in other people? How do we honor the image of God within ourselves? So yeah, yeah. So. I think the takeaway for me after I really thought about it is what we were supposed to be discussing is, or, or not what we're supposed to be discussing, but what we we're supposed to take away is when you realize that everyone is created in the image of God, then how you hate people, how you uh, take uh, exception to people, how you don't help people becomes uh, absolutely uh, unbearable and antithetical to everything that we're supposed to be doing. Right. You know, and so it was it was interesting because um, I was having a conversation with somebody um, after the service and uh, and we, you know, this was sometime after the service and they were commenting on the uh, confession of sin that we had in our worship service. Now, at our at our worship service, in our tradition, we do what's called a corporate confession, which is just everybody um, reads a confession of sin that's been created uh, by our worship director. Um, and she does a good job of tying that confession in with whatever I'm preaching on and try to make it, a, you know, to, to help bring the message home in a different way. And so that particular confession of sin talked about, um, or, or her setup, I think it was, when she was talking about, you know, getting, getting us ready for confession she, she had us sort of imagining people that we didn't get along with or people that were completely different from us or somebody. And then um, she said, you know, to say that they're an, a child of God. And, you know, the, the idea was that, you know, that we're all children of God. And so the question that this person had was, is that true? You know, um, you know, yeah. because I don't I don't think that that's true because, you know, 
some of these people don't believe in God or some people don't, uh, you know, they're, they're not Christians. And, you know, right. so how do I say that somebody is a child of God? So, yeah, uh, that's, I, that is an important point because some faith traditions would say that it's not true that everyone is a child of God. The only people that are children of God or made in the image of God are people who believe in God and coincidentally maybe look a lot like themselves. Okay, so uh, how does that sit with you? Like what that person said or the question, like how would you have responded to that? Because I, I mean, I can, I can, you know, I, I can pontificate about how I responded, but I would love to know what, how you would respond to that. Well, to me, um, the text is clear that all people are made in the image of God, uh, not just people that we agree with, not just people who even acknowledge God. So to me, each person has within them the divine DNA of God. Now, whether they recognize it, whether they resonate with it, what they do with it, that's a different question. Yes. But every person is made in the image of God. Even uh, this was hard for a lot of people to swallow. Even a Muslim terrorist was made in the image of God, has some some divine God DNA in him. Now, maybe through cultural conditioning and confusion and other things, he has completely squashed it. But when he was born and entered this world, that divine DNA was there and could have been nurtured into something to um, really reflect the kingdom of God and participate in the kingdom of God. Maybe he's not a kingdom of God participant, but that God DNA is still in him. Even to the very end, to the moment that he blows himself up, that divine DNA is there. So that is radical thinking for a lot of people. Um, yeah. And you know, and you 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 answered exactly the way that I answered, and I responded to that. Um, I think you probably took it a little bit farther than I did, but the, you know, I think we're we're on the same page with this. Um, there, there's an interesting. There was some interesting work that was done by N.T. Wright, and you know I love N.T. Wright, but N.T. Yeah. Wright wrote a book called Surprised by Hope, and in it he actually talks about this. He has this whole section about the about denying the image of God within you know us um, and people who do that, who you know so deny the image of God that you know they kind of you know are beyond pity in a lot of ways. Um, he can't even imagine what that would look like um, because, you know, he, he doesn't want to give up on anything anyone. or anyone, yeah. right? You know, right. But, so he, and, and he calls that like the darkest sort of part of our theology where no one really knows for sure, like what God does and how God operates in that. But he never once, you know, in his discourse about that denies that every one of us are, are created in, in God's image and all of us are bearers of God's image. How we choose to do that, or if we choose to accept that role, um, and you know, live into that. Now, that's a different story, right? And that's where Jesus comes in, because those of us who stumble after Jesus, what we're trying to do is answer Jesus's call to recognize the kingdom of God now and the kingdom of God yet to come. Right. Um, so they may not be kingdom participants, but they still bear the image of God and. That, in my mind, needs to inform everything that we think and do regarding those people. Okay, so this is a this is an interesting sort of part of this, and this is kind of what I was getting at in the sermon, but I didn't really follow through on it. But 
So when we, we, we see stories of people of other faiths um, or people of no faith who do extraordinary things uh, to help their fellow human, okay, or to do an unbelievable kindness or to be sacrificial or, or who are incredibly generous and hospitable, um, you know, like they do amazing things that everyone goes, wow, you know, they're the, the videos that appear on Facebook that are liked by, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Um, you know, the extraordinary things that doesn't matter whether you're a race or ability or gender or whatever. We watch, um, you know, America's Got Talent or Great Britain's Got Talent or whatever. And we see these videos of people doing things and our heart sings. The reason why that happens is because in that moment, we are recognizing and blessing the image of God in those people, no matter where they came from, because they all bear it. Right? What would, what would Paul say? Paul would say that every good thing comes from God. Right. To include every beautiful thing that everybody thinks or does, whether they recognize it or not, is not the issue. Exactly. Exactly. But what, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, there, the first thing that people have to realize is that there are some universal things. You know, there are universal things that, are, that, are, that connect all of us. Um, right. So, so that sense, you know, a good example is that sense of wonder that even the most hardened person feels when they see a baby born or when they look in a puppy's eyes. Um, that is because they bear God's DNA. Yes. Now, again, what they do with that DNA in God's kingdom, whether they choose to take part in the kingdom around them, that's their choice. So I think for Christians, and this is kind of so like Paul, I mean, I, I, I can speak to Christians. I can't, I mean, I can't, you know, exhort somebody who's not a Christian to live like a Christian. Um, I can only invite them to be part of my journey and, and, you know, hope as a Christian that they would come to understand more fully why I believe what I believe and maybe come and walk with Jesus with me. Um, but I can't exhort them to live like Jesus, um, but I can other Christians, right? And so um, for Christians, I can say, okay, um, here's what we have to start doing. We are going to have to start living differently. Um, because right. right now, I would say that in the dominant Christian culture, there, that we are not uh, being bearers of God's image. That when it, and, and we're not recognizing the image of God in others and blessing that image in, in the ways that I think Jesus did. Well, and it's, I think it's, those are two distinct but uh, equally important points, right? So if we really understood that we have the DNA of God, that we bear the image of God, then how we treated our own bodies in terms of uh, self-care, in terms of the food that we put in it, the way we moved it, um, the things we did with it, the substances we didn't abuse, all of those things would flow from our understanding of the image of God being a God-bearer. And then when we look at people and can say, I hate that person, that person is despicable, that person is horrible. The things that we say about people who are of a different faith, people who are of a different political persuasion, for sure, right now in our culture. If we really got it, if we really got it, that whether they were part of the kingdom or not, they still bore the image of God. Then that should, if we were honest, if we were really trying to stumble after Jesus, then our mindset on those issues should change radically. Yes. 
So can I, at the risk of alienating like a lot of our listeners, can I use a football analogy really quickly? Yes, you can. (laughs) Okay. So yesterday there was this rumor that was going around that my beloved Denver Broncos were actually entertaining conversations to to, to try to, to trade for Philip Rivers, who's the quarterback of the San Diego Chargers, what used to be the San Diego Chargers. Okay, so you know how I feel about the San Diego Chargers. You also okay. Well, but our listeners need to hear something. <laughs> Leon only has three opinions about football. Number one, <laughs> the only good and valuable team in the entire NFL is the Denver Broncos. Yes, true. Almost every other team is hated and despised and beneath contempt. There is a small group of teams that have that basically we would never play in the normal course of life that you are at best neutral. Yes. I think that our listeners need to understand that your natural <laughs> position is to like only one team. Only one team is worthy of your liking and consideration. There yes. is a few about which you are neutral. And everyone else is hated and despised. So this is tribalism at its basest, okay? Isn't that what the whole thing is intended to appeal to? And it's interesting to me that even though we have this God DNA in us, we still use every opportunity, the NFL being an excellent example, to define ourselves not so much by who we are, but as who we are not, of wanting to get together with groups that are inclusive groups of just people like us and then vilify and other everybody else. And so we have in our tribes, we have our colors, we have our chants, we have our language, we have our chief. Uh, We've got everything um, in, in professional and college football that is tribalism, which to me is antithetical to everything that we've been talking about. At least it's antithetical when you take it to the extreme that the Reverend Dr. Leon Bloater takes it. So, with that, <laughs> go ahead, Leon. Okay, so uh, along those same lines, so when they started talking, this this whole conversation was just happening kind of hypothetically. And, and were you freaking out? Well, no, but but our eldest son was. He was like, "What the heck? What's going on?" And I'm like, no, this is fantastic, you know, because he, you know, he's a great quarterback and think of what it would do to San Diego fan. It would just like take their hearts out, you know, and, and then we could cheer for him because now he would be, listen, he would be wearing the right colors. Right. Exactly. Okay. So the thing is, is that all of a sudden when he puts on the uniform of my team, I recognize the right. gifts that he has that are that are obvious gifts of being a great quarterback and all the skills that he has and so at any rate this is this is the what the best example of that to use a sports analogy the best example i've ever seen is tim tebow so when tim tebow was the quarterback of the university of florida and was regularly beating the rears of the florida state seminoles the best team in college football except for university of texas when he, when he was regularly beating us he was Tim Tebow's name was not to be mentioned in our house. We couldn't speak poorly of him because he was a good Christian guy, but he was not to be cheered for, nothing. He was the, he was the tribal leader of the bad guy. Then when he came to the work to work to play at uh, Denver, all 
of a sudden, everybody's in the house. It's got Tebow jerseys. We're cheering for Tebow. It's exactly what you were just talking about. <laughs> once he put, once he put our colors on, and he became our chief, then he was an amazing athlete and an amazing human being. Yes. Meanwhile, all true. Guy, the same guy all the time. Right. He never stopped being the same guy. Right. And, and I think so. Here's here's so for those of the, the for the many 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 people listening who probably don't care at all about football or sports. You know, this is how we do this, though, in, 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 in our tribalism, you know, within Christianity. Right. So Christianity has this sort of overarching tribalism of people who are not sort of Christian. And, and you know, the, as opposed to people who are. And then, you know, for, for a lot of people within the Christian sort of tribe, the overall Christian tribe, you know, there's, there's an, a sense of othering that happens with other people that are outside of that. Uh, to varying degrees. Now, some Christians don't, you know, are trying desperately to to acknowledge the image of God in all people. Um, but the, I would say the dominant Christian culture is to put itself over and against uh, what they view as a hostile culture. Until right. that culture does something that it approves of, and then all of a sudden, that's okay. You know, right. like a movie will be created that has, a, uh, you know, a slightly somewhat Christian message to it. Um, and, you know, then all of a sudden that's the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, except, when, except for when there's fighting within the tribe, right? So you had the shack came out, which a right. huge amount of the Christian tribe liked. But then there was sub-tribes within the Christian tribe that thought it was horrible. And any person who said they were part of the Christian tribe who liked it really wasn't part of the tribe. Right. And so what's happened now is, you know, you in order to be sort of part of this tribe, in order to be in order to have the real image of God within you, essentially, is what we're talking about, because that's how it plays out. In order for somebody to truly be a child of God, as the person who was asking me the question the other day um, was like, really, they're a child of God. Um, In order for somebody to be a child of God. They've got to be wearing the right colors. They've got to be doing the right stuff. Um, or to make it more plain, they have to read the right books, have the right interpretation of Scripture, live a certain way, only do certain things, and don't do a whole bunch of other things. I mean, there's a long list of these identifiers that are being used now to even break down you know, Christian culture right. itself. Um, right. Not to mention the way that you know, Christian culture has this sort of over and against mentality about, you know, what's going on outside of that culture. Um, so, so, yeah. So, so what's the takeaway? So what do we do? Those of us who are really trying to follow Christ, what do we do? Okay. So we go to the examples of Jesus where Jesus was doing this very thing where he was reaching out to people who were completely and utterly different who would not have been acknowledged even as human beings. Um, And there was this wonderful exchange that he had with this woman, and it's one of the most difficult passages to ever really struggle with. It's the woman, uh, the Syrophoenician woman, who comes and wants him to heal her daughter. So she's Uh a Gentile, and she comes from an area where, you know, this was a a historic and, and, you know, very hated sort of enemy of the people of Israel in the Syrophoenician area, the Philistines, um, you know. And so 
at any rate, she comes and she asks Jesus to heal her daughter. And so Jesus responds in an interesting way. He responds like a Jewish rabbi would have responded. And he says something to her, you know, like, you know, I'm not going to basically, why would I share this with dogs? You know, we're not going to, we're not going to throw this, this to dogs. Um, and he uses that actual term, which is a very derogatory term that, that they would have used for these kinds of people. And she counters back and says, well, even the dogs can get the crumbs off of the master's table. And, and he's like, you're, I've not seen like, this is, this is unbelievable faith that you have uh, go and your daughter is healed. Right. It's very confusing. But what, what Jesus is doing is he, he reflects for the people around him, the, the, the sort of sentiments of the day for a moment, almost like hyperbole, Right. Right, to show them. Like he holds them. would be, she's a dog, but then he affirms her response and says, no, then that's really the answer. She really gets it. It's for everybody. He holds up a mirror to them. Right. And then shows them what God would do. Exactly. And, and, and I'm, I love that about him. Like he did it every time. The woman who was caught in adultery, Zacchaeus, Matthew, the tax collector, the, you know, the, the prostitutes that, you know, Mary Magdalene, who was a prostitute that, you know, was demon possessed. I mean, you know, all of these outsiders and, and he would gather these people together sometimes at the same place, at the same table. And then when they would start I, you know, identifying the other, you know, at the table, then he would, he would just blow that whole thing up and, and would try to help them see one another as God sees them. And I think it's hard for people to understand exactly how other a tax collector was. It's, you know, unless you really study ancient, you know, first century Judaism, it's hard to understand that the tax, that, that Matthew, the tax collector, his position was about as hated and reviled and disgusting a, 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 as a human being could be. Like, like, you know, it would be for us like a Muslim terrorist. I mean, it is as bad as bad gets in first century Judaism for somebody to have been a tax collector. Yeah, it's like... And a- yet, there's my dog. Hello, he's, he's barking because he heard somebody come in. So until you get that, no, hush. Until you get that, you can't really get the story and understand how it applies to us as we sit around and try to hate. Because we think we hate the IRS. I mean, trust me, I don't like the IRS. But that their their revulsion and derision of Matthew would have gone so far and above that. The closest thing I can think of, based on my understanding of first century Judaism, would be how we would feel about a Muslim terror. Yeah, I think that that's the level of other because you would see them as so. But I mean, I think actually this is probably a more accurate description, kind of building on what you're saying. It wouldn't just be a Muslim terrorist. It would be somebody who was born in the United States and and was like raised as a Christian, converted to Islam and then went and yeah, did something exactly. for ISIS. That's the level of hatred that they would have had because they would have seen uh, his tax collector as someone who betrayed their own people for their own benefit and did violence to their own people as a result of that. So sex workers and, you know, people like that. And I mean, he, you know, he pulled all these people together and, you know, kind of put them in the same room. It was, it was fairly amazing. It was awesome. And, 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 
you know, and then yet with that example, we still find ourselves saying, I hate Hillary Clinton. I hate uh, Donald Trump. I hate and and not just saying it, but actually feeling those feelings. Yes. Because they bear the image of God. Right. So we have a lot of work to do as Christians, I think. And we have a huge example that we need to work on setting. Absolutely. And if, and if we can figure this out, if Christians can begin living this way, Christians that are on, on sort of all the whole spectrum, so progressive Christians and conservative Christians, sometimes live into the same hypocrisy. Oh, um, for sure. You know, uh, both sort of claiming high, higher moral ground and then both doing the same thing by othering and hating other people and not acknowledging the image of God in one another. So this isn't a progressive or a conservative no. uh, issue. This is a human issue. It's, a, it's a, an issue of what it means to follow Jesus. Well, I'm glad we talked about it. I am too. I want to continue these discussions, and I'd I'd be interested to hear from anybody else that has some thoughts on this subject. If you want to email Leon at lbloater at mac.com, I know he'd love to continue discussions, and I'll peek over his shoulder and put my two cents in too. (laughs) Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I miss you, little girl. I miss you too. I'll see you soon. All the way in Florida. I will see you next week. And I'll see see those of you who listen that I see in person. I look forward to seeing all of you. And let's continue these discussions and stumbling after Jesus the best way that any of us can. And let's help each other make that stumble. So this week I'm going to be preaching on uh, Genesis chapter 3 and what is commonly known as the story of the fall. And my sermon is actually, the sermon title is actually borrowed from Richard Rohr, uh, a book by Richard Rohr. And it's called Falling Upward. A great book, by the way. Yeah, so a little, um, a little provocative there. Maybe next, uh, next podcast we can discuss a feminist reading, a feminist theological reading of the uh, story of the fall. I think we need some guest. I think we need a guest panel, don't you? I would be fantastic. Let's see if we can put together a guest panel to talk about that because I think Eve got a bad rap. Amen. All right. Love you. All right. Love you. Thanks, guys. See you guys. Bye. Bye.